Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. I love reading the book of Revelation and how God d doesn't erase mm -hmm. that every tribe, That's tongue, right. and nation will be yeah. worshiping together. He could have, but no, he keeps those differences. Right. I think there's a reason for that. So why would we want to erase that? Welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, a weekly show produced in partnership with Q Ideas and Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and if you listen to our program more than a few months, you know that we've dealt with the issue of racial tension and healing many times. And Gabe, this week, we want to do it again. But we're talking about it from a little bit of a different perspective. We want to talk about what does it mean to have these conversations with our children at this last summer's event, Race and Repair, I invited Trillian Newbell, who's an author of a new children's book called God's Very Good Idea, to talk with me a little bit about the idea of how do we talk to our children about race. We know in so many of our families, our children grow up and they see everyone as equal. They don't have these parameters and they don't have these boxes that as they get older, society starts to shape and starts to make them see people through different lenses. And so we wanted to talk to Trillia a little bit about her perspective on this. She's also authored several books, including Sacred Endurance, If God is For Us, and Fear and Faith. She's an incredible author. Her writings on issues of faith, family, and diversity have been published at Desiring God, Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, and more. But today you're going to get to hear our conversation from our Race and Repair event. And if you're a Q Media subscriber, you can actually watch it through your Q Media subscription, as well as many other talks that took place through that event. And I hope you'll enjoy that because this was in the context of helping us better understand how do we move this conversation forward in a positive direction. Trillia Newbell is with us, and she is somebody who has written several books, one called Fear and Faith, something I know a lot of us have responded to over these last few months is do we respond to changing circumstances in fear or faith? She's also written a children's book, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment because this book is actually part of how we start at the youngest ages, helping our children better understand the story that we're living into. Trillia, thank you so much for being with us today. And, and here is that beautiful book, God's Very Good Idea. Now, I couldn't recommend this high enough. If you've been listening to this uh, today, go, just go get this book. Amazon, anywhere you buy books, go get this book. It's an important book for us to start with our children, making sure they understand God's very good idea, a true story about God's delightfully different family. Trillia, what, what inspired you to, to write a children's book? Well, I think partly having children, I am married to a white man, and so we're in an interracial marriage, and we have had to start really early teaching yeah. our children about 
race and diversity. Mm-hmm. I remember at the age of two, my my son saying something like, um, "You are brown and daddy's peach," and so <laughs> peach, <laughs> peach, which is that that's yeah. kids. They're trying yeah. to make sense of their world, and so I taught. It it came from actually a Sunday school class that I taught at my church, mm-hmm. and quickly realized that there wasn't a lot of resources, so I had to make one up. And the reaction from those kids, um, one particular saying something like, um, talking about my daughter, Sydney, she's not just my, she's just not, she's not just my friend, she's my sister. Mm. And I thought, ah, how many other people need this information um, at an early age, well, we all do. Yeah. And so that was the heartbeat. It's really just out of my own conviction. One of racism and, and the idea of race is a learned, really a learned social structure. We find in our children that they don't begin seeing the world that way. And as, as they start to grow up, they start to form into these labels and these buckets and they start to orient around that. You believe it's so important that our parents talk to children and not only our youngest children, but let's talk about our teenagers. I, I've got Absolutely. three teenagers in our home and a elementary student. Yeah. Um, but that sometimes parents don't, and, and we're talking about a lot of white parents here. Okay. Yeah. I, I know non-white parents do have these conversations. It's just part of the necessity that they feel they have to do. But a lot of white parents are like, why, why would I talk about this? If, and, and part of this is the isolation problem. Part of this is not the engagement. And you talked about three misconceptions that parents tend to have about why they don't talk about racism. Will you talk about why some parents aren't doing this, and and then let's move to like why it's critical that they do it. Yeah, before I even talk about the the misconceptions, I want to start by saying some people don't talk about it because they're racist themselves. Yeah, and that I think is one of the things we have to ask ourselves. And you may not be racist, you may be apathetic. Yeah, you may be um, it's kind of see, see it as their problem, not my problem, mm-hmm. and so. We've got to ask ourselves, who's going to teach our kids? Will the culture or will we? And then we have to ask ourselves, where in our own hearts must we change? Because they do. It is learned yeah. in a lot of ways. that, And, and so we, we have to repent ourselves mm-hmm. of our biases, of our assumptions, of the evil that is in our own hearts before mm-hmm. we can even teach our children. Yeah. So start with yourself, yeah. asking our, interrogating our own hearts, and then go to our kids. And one misconception I think is, is that it is a political issue. Yeah. It is a political issue. Mm-hmm. Policies with, if we don't have changed policies in the United States is specifically, well, I wouldn't be sitting here. Right. Mm-hmm. So we do need to address those policy issues, but it's also a biblical issue. Yeah. We see God created every person in his image. Mm-hmm. And we see that he's given us a beautiful multi-ethnic mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And as was already talked about, Ephesians 2, the veil of hostility has been broken down in the body of Jesus Christ. We will one day forever be worshiping mm-hmm. together. We have a better word in the scriptures. Yeah. And so we, I want us to rescue it from the culture and rescue it from politics because we speak a better word, those who know Jesus. Mm. So political, we, we can yep. think it's political and it can hinder us from speaking to it. I think another thing is, is that we don't think our kids will understand. Mm. And as I've already mentioned, um, Kids will understand. They they yeah. will know. They see. They right. see. They're not as naive as we tend to oh, hope not, that they are. Not at all. And as a matter of fact, um, again, and I, I I talked about this. Uh, 
who's going to be teaching our kids? Yeah. They're going to learn. So they're either going to learn on the street. They're going to learn mm-hmm. in their classroom. They're going to learn somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be the ones that are educating and, and, and helping our kids to understand about culture and differences. And I don't remember the third one that I, yeah. <laughs> that I wrote, but. Well, I think the point is we, there's a fear. I mean, you, you talk about the role of faith in our lives and, and I think fear is the reason we would hold back from having honest conversations. We know from our data that in the church, many times our Christians in sitting in pews feel like their pastors don't talk about the difficult issues, right? Yeah. There's like a fear around moving into space where we don't have all the answers. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about why as Christians, like we don't get the option to just back out of these conversations. Even if we don't know all the answers, how fruitful is it just to get into a conversation with your kids and, and maybe hear what they think? Yeah. Well, as Christians, we are a family, right? right? And we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. So we want to, in order for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, mm-hmm. we got to understand our neighbor. And so we can't fear these conversations. We've got to move into them mm-hmm. and have them. Yeah. And so I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a sad mm-hmm. detriment to the church. Mm-hmm. If we are afraid of one another, yeah. you cannot love someone who you are afraid of. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And so I think part of it is just gaining understanding. And I think acknowledging when we lack understanding. Yeah. One of the best things that a friend has said to me is, I don't understand, mm. but I love you. Mm. And I'm like, you're right. You don't understand, <laughs> but I want yeah. to help you. Yeah. I want That's to good. help you understand. But, and so that I think is, um, it transforms relationships. Yeah. It opens the opportunity to talk about these things and with our kids. Um, I, I, I tell friends that when you see your kid and they they see them in they see someone in the grocery store who maybe looks a little different mm-hmm. and um, maybe they have a, a red dot on their forehead mm-hmm. or something and your kid points to that difference and they're like what is that mommy yeah. we are teaching our kids that difference is wrong mm. if we respond in oh 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 stop, yeah. Stop. Yeah. instead of saying you know what? Let's go and research this. Yeah. Let's yeah. go learn about this. Right. And right. and so I think even the way we approach the unknown can transform the way we view one another. Yeah. And and so that to me is something very important. Take away the fear. Yeah. There's nothing to be afraid of. Well, one of the misconceptions that you mentioned is that we're colorblind and we think that's the yes. idea that I feel like that was a pervasive idea for several decades, right? Yeah. That that Christians are supposed to be colorblind. And I've, I feel like there's a good amount of evidence and conversation now that people are going, wait, that is not the answer. Can you explain that though to people who might have thought, I'm supposed to just be colorblind. I'm not supposed to see skin color. Why is it important we see skin color? Well, God has created me this way. Yeah. And so it, when you you really reduce and try in a lot of ways erase me mm. when you say that you don't see the way that God has created me. Yeah. Also, the truth is you do. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to really be able to engage in conversation about getting to know one another and culture if we pretend like we don't actually see our differences. Yeah. And we can celebrate them. Mm-hmm. We can celebrate God. I love it. I love reading the book of Revelation and how God d- doesn't erase mm-hmm. that every tribe, That's tongue, right. and nation will be yeah. worshiping together. He could have, but no, he keeps those differences. Right. I think there's a reason for that. So why would we want to erase that? Yeah. So 
I really think that there's a lot of what people are really trying to say when they say that I'm colorblind is they're trying to say I'm not racist. Right, right. But but they don't understand. They're they're dismissing history. They are dismissing. They're not taking the time maybe to dig in. It's it's kind of an an easy out, I guess, to to not understand. It is absolutely an easy out. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way to put it. It's an easy out. And instead, you want to. I I I've said and written that you want to be color smart. Yeah. You yeah, want to good. understand those who are not like you instead of trying to erase them. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lines, and that was writer and thinker Trillia Newbell. A conversation, Gabe, you had with her during the special Q session in September called Race and Repair. you got to love her passion for helping younger generations apply the gospel to the issue of racism with the goal of celebrating God's beautiful, multi-ethnic world. I want to encourage you, if you have children, get this book, God's Very Good Idea. I just think you'll appreciate the conversations it can create as we try to establish in our children a gospel view of what it looks like to see one another as made in the image of God. I love how she described the book of Revelation, every tribe, you know, not being erased, that we're all there worshiping together. It just gives us such a good vision for how to think about the future that we're living into in the kingdom. Gabe, as we continue this week thinking about children and racism, it's great to see what parents can do to help our kids wade through this thorny issue, but we just can't stop in the home, as important as that is. Also a part of the Race and Repair Q session, you focused on what's being done in the school setting to build a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic learning environment. Your friend David Bailey of Arabon, the co-host of that Q session we were talking about, had a great conversation with educator Paige Pitts. Now, tell us about her and the conversation. 24 years ago, Paige Pitts founded a school called New Hope Academy. It's a Christ-centered school, but focused specifically on creating a socioeconomically and racially diverse community that would learn together, live together, start to practice life together, all in the setting of an education environment. And so Paige Pitts not only started that, but her and her husband, Dan, have been incredible advocates in this area of our community And their story is one more story of repair. And what we want to do is just start sparking in you an imagination for what is the area God's called you to? What is the burden maybe he's put on your heart? In 1996, very few people understood why Paige cared so much about this. Why her husband and her her family were going to embark on this journey in a very white community where many people didn't have the burden that she felt, but she followed Christ's call. Okay, let's listen into that conversation now here on Q Ideas. One thing I say often is, is that, in my opinion, I think that the number one civil rights issue in our country is quality education. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we even understand like how racist is set up. It's where where you could choose your zip code and determine the quality of education, yeah. and we don't realize how like unjust that is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, why did twenty four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Did you feel the need to start a school that was both ethnically and uh, uh, economically diverse in Franklin, which is a very white part of Nashville? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sure. Well, 
You know, truthfully, it really came from a biblical conviction, Mm. you know, um, that when you read the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to see the heart Mm -hmm. and um, the reality of God's character, and that is He's calling a people to care about justice and righteousness. Um, It is evasive throughout or invasive throughout the scriptures, and so as a person in my 20s, really looking at scripture, wrestling, taking it at its word. You know, God says, you're my child and I'm ushering in a new kingdom. I'm, I'm a king of the new kingdom. Then I was really convicted that we need to be about kingdom work. It's, it's not optional. It is to reflect the truth of who God is. And let me say the reason I'm saying it's a biblical conviction, because if it's not an understanding that this is what God is calling his people to be about. This is what is going to allow others to see the truth of who Jesus is. We will disengage because it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so if it's not about because we believe this is what God is about, calling his people to be about, then we might uh, disengage at any time where it gets too hard. So certainly from that biblical conviction, um, it was saying, well, how are we going to, um, to engage our city? And certainly outside of the family institution, the educational institution has profound impact because the educational institutions are formative. Yeah. They're forming the way people think. They're forming the way people believe. They're forming the way people um, act and behave and engage in society. And so... Um, I really wrestled with the inequity that I was seeing um, in educational institutions and specifically um, in Christian education. Could you just unpack some of that? Because I don't think a lot, if, if you're not in education, it's really hard to just imagine the inequity. So could you just maybe describe a little bit of that? Well, yes. I mean, certainly educational institutions at large in our country is a huge topic. But specifically for me saying we wanted to start a different kind of school um, and we wanted it to be a school where we wanted to create a biblical worldview because that is what is going to truly impact culture. So when we look at Christian schools, there are not many Christian schools that are about justice and righteousness. And so um, when we started New Hope 24 years ago, the idea of saying we want to intentionally have um, everyone have the opportunity to have a seat at the table. We want everyone to be able to come and be a part of what we are doing. And if that is the goal, you have to be intentional. We, we are intentional with our enrollment. We're intentional with our leadership. We're intentional at every level to see that those that have not had the opportunity for Christ-centered education, mostly because of the economic divide, We wanted to provide that opportunity, and we believe that that's justice. So if you don't have the the means uh, economically to receive Christ-centered education, then we, as the church, need to provide that opportunity. So good. And it's also, I find it redemptive, too, Mm -hmm. because, um, and I would encourage anybody in whatever city that you're in uh, to look up the Christian schools and see what date were they established. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were established around 1954, 1955, mm-hmm. and the kind of first five years of Brown versus Board Education, where, where, where integration started to happen. Yeah. And they said, nope, I don't want to integrate, so we're going to start some Christian private schools mm-hmm. so that we don't have to integrate. And so that wasn't the, the, 
the reason why you started, but I actually think it's almost like like sovereignly, like the Lord mm. back in the 90s kind of like helped to write a different narrative um, in Nashville. Um, and so could you just share maybe some of the challenges that you faced, particularly in the white community, 24 years ago as you tried to start the school? Sure. Um, well, New Hope Academy is about building the healthiest ecosystem for education so that it's both in what we teach and the context, right? And so um, when you look at we, we are committed to being Christ-centered in all things and we value four things. We value formative learning. We value um, 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 accessible um, education for all people, connected community, and the personhood of each child. So in, in trying to make sure that you accomplish that, you have to have diverse leadership and obviously bringing all different people together. So I would say in the early years, the greatest challenges, one was buy-in from the African-American community. They had the greatest risk, yeah. right? It was, it was primarily a white, predominantly white church. Right. Um, I was trying to speak the vision and create the idea in our city, in our community. And, and our neighbors of color had the greatest, how were they sure? Right, right. Why would they trust you? Gonna be, exactly. Why right. would they trust me? How do we know that this is going to be different? How do we know? So buy in with the African-American community. We are committed to minority leadership. I think that is absolutely essential. Why? Because I believe that the majority culture has typically always been the ones that have been in power or in control or setting the culture or thinking that the this is the right way to do it. So we need minority leadership for that. We need to shift. We need to change the way we think um, about um, what is normative for all people. Yeah. And then secondly, I do think specifically for the African-American community to recognize um, we are, we are um, serious about this. Yeah, yeah. And, and this matters to us, that yep. there is African-American leadership. And thirdly, I'll say why that matters is because our white boys and girls, they need to be led by minority culture as well. It's not just for our minority kids. It's for our white kids too. Yeah. So so they don't have to be well into their adult years. Like Greg Thompson, before he got a chance to have an African-American mentor, right? Right. Like they could just grow up and it's just a a normal thing. Right. And so 24 years into long obedience Mm -hmm. in the same direction, (laughs) What are some of the fruits that you've seen by like a diverse, ethnically and economically diverse Christian education environment? Sure. Um, certainly when I look at our students that have left New Hope and moved into spaces, um, their sphere of influence, um, I think they're having great impact because they have been taught a biblical worldview intentionally in a context that talks about all people are created in the image of God and hold value, dignity, and respect. So as they enter into the different spheres of culture, they're able to confront prejudice um, because of what they've been taught, how they've formed their view, but also because they've experienced. They have relationships with one another. So when they hear someone speak something racist or where they experience um, a group of people showing their prejudice, they have an experience that says that's, that's not right. That's not good. That's not biblical. And so they can speak into it. And I would say, secondly, um, 
their parents. See, I think of the kids, we're forming something new in them, yep. right? They're four, five, six, seven years old. Yep. For our parents that are coming along to the school with them, we have to reform yep. their thinking. Yeah, and so as we're doing that, um, we're able to now begin to continue to grow as a community in um, learning what does it really look like to love and respect and hold one another with great value as we walk into this community of faith and try to impact our culture. What a great conversation between David Bailey and Paige Pitts of New Hope Academy here on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Maybe you're an educator. I hope you're really connected with Paige's vision so that you can bring like-minded change to your community. Gabe, we're almost out of time. But before we go, let's talk about a special live event happening in Nashville November 11th and 12th. It's called Q&A. It's very limited. It's going to be intimate space. 300 of us maxed out because of just social distancing and all that needs to take place to do a live event these days. But we felt it was so important that we gather, that during a time, during the end of this year, during a season right after the election, where we know there's a lot of division, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of confusion that pastors coming together and church leaders to specifically have some time to really look at the year ahead, to pray together, to learn, to listen to how other people are thinking about everything from how we're doing discipleship through digital formats to the importance of prayer, all the way to going deeper into this race conversation and where it's going from here and how we can be a part of the solution to discussions around mental health and suicide, censorship. We're going to be talking about so much of what's on the horizon for the American church. And you don't want to miss this. It's going to be an incredible opportunity for Q&A, tons of conversation with like-minded leaders, all in an intimate setting. So I hope you'll join us. You can learn more about it at qideas.org slash QA. And when you go there, you'll see not only the presenters, you can also see more about the topics as well as some of the experiences our team's creating in this area. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Now, Gabe, a lot of people can't travel at this late point, but they'd really like to take in this event. Well, some good news. There is an option to watch the event virtually. So again, visit qideas.org slash QA to learn more and sign up for either the in-person or virtual options. Again, Gabe, as we think about this past year, these conversations will be vitally important. I think it's going to be deeply encouraging for you, or if you're listening to this and your pastor needs some encouragement, Let them know about this. And while there's still some space, let's go ahead and have them register so that they can be a part of this conversation. Go to qideas.org slash QA. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.